When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan Moylan with you from The Square Ball with Phil Hay, of course, from The Athletic. And you can subscribe to Phil's stuff on The Athletic. Read it at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod pound a month for six months. We are twice a week now, by the way. This is the Monday morning debrief, or we go Monday mornings or thereabouts, fixtures depending, where we look back on the game that's happened at the weekend. And then again, we preview the next game on Friday or thereabouts. So in this case, Phil, we are talking about Aston Villa, the nil-nil at Ellen Road. It was more about Stuart Atwell, wasn't it, than um, than about the nil-nil. Can you, can you unpack that game for me? Because I've kind of struggled to know how to think about it. I've woke up on Monday morning feeling just a little bit grumpy about the whole thing. It's not an easy one to unpack at all. I felt that after the game. I, I feel that this morning as well. It almost feels as if we should intersperse this podcast with breaks every two or three minutes um, in tribute to what was going on yesterday. Uh, when it was just a wash with fouls, a wash with yellow cards. And you had that feeling about it from really early stages. There has been a bit of a trend, I think, at Ellen Road this season of teams coming with the intention of slowing down the play early on, time-wasting, if you want to put it that way. I suspect that in part is something to do with the teams who've been here so far, particularly Villa, Everton and, and Wolves, none of whom look like they're they're on for, for particularly great seasons. I, I suspect when Arsenal comes to Ellen Road next, you'll see a different approach than them. And I, and I don't think it'll be the same tactical ploy. But to my mind, yesterday was a, a classic example of a game in which the referee loses control of it and everything flows from there. And ultimately, there was no flow to the game at all. There wasn't any fluency. And it was because it was constantly interspersed with breaks. You know, there were, there were almost 40 fouls on the day, yellow cards all over the place, Bits of inconsistency in the way those yellow cards were, were given. And I think all in all, a, a performance from Stuart Atwell, which made him front and centre and didn't help um, didn't help with the spectacle at all. Steve Gerrard said afterwards he was happy with Atwell's performance. And I can kind of understand why, because it did seem to to lend itself to Villa more than it did Leeds. You could tell that Jesse Marsh was, was unhappy with it. But having spent the game in the press box serving his touchline ban, he was careful not to say too much about it. It's hard to come away from that game and draw many conclusions about anything except to say that in the second half, Leeds did show the capacity to knuckle down uh, knuckle down and fight and, and take something from the game. Those were circumstances, the best part of the entire second half to play with 10 men where you expected Villa to win the game and I suspect that a better, better side would have done yesterday. So all in all, it's, it's a good point. But after 29 days away, that's what you get and, and it's hard to be delighted with it. In many ways, the pre-season game kind of foreshadowed this one, didn't it? That was a bit bitty and aggressive. Yeah, and I don't know. Villa last season, and I wrote about this this morning, kind of brought the worst out of Leeds. You know, there was the game at Villa Park, which was the point where Radrazani first started to think about sacking Bielsa. There was the game at Ellen Road, which was horribly poisonous and toxic, Marsh's home game. And it, it, it they, they really did serve the purpose last season, Villa of bringing Leeds to the point of of reckoning um, on on two occasions. And previously going back, I mean, Atwell actually did the game in 2019, the the, the walking goal game 
um, which which made so many headlines. Although it was very hard to blame him for that. That wasn't really his doing on the day. But it was niggly on that afternoon. And, and it does seem to be that way whenever Leeds play Villa. But I kind of felt that it was dictated not just by Atwell yesterday, but it was dictated by Villa's tactics initially. I did think that that kind of generated frustration early on. And it just set the tone for a, an underwhelming match, which didn't really grip the crowd in the way that you wanted it to. It didn't didn't get didn't get flowing. And I do, do think, if we're being totally honest, it kind of show, showcased two teams who looked fairly average on the day. I, for all that Atwell was influential in a negative way, I didn't really feel that in the first half he was restricting a Leeds masterclass. I don't think that's what it was shaping up to be, and I don't think that's what what we were going to see. But I do think at halftime it, it was pretty well placed for Leeds to win the game with a, a, an improvement after halftime. And the Sinistera red card just killed that completely. So Stuart Atwell faced the wrath of the Ellen Road crowd for anybody who was there or, or watched it on the TV would have seen and heard. Why do you think that is? Why did the frustration get directed towards him in particular? Too much inconsistency, too many stoppages too many debatable decisions. I, I don't think he got everything wrong yesterday at all. And while I thought that the first decision to book um, to book Sinistera was a little harsh, he didn't get the ball. He did trip the player from behind. It, it was a sort of borderline call that quite often referees will let go, but sometimes they will pull up. I don't think anybody can pretend that sticking his foot out to intercept the free kick while he was on a booking and not retreating 10 yards was in any way sensible. I mean, that was asking for trouble. And Mar said himself afterwards, you know, it wasn't an intelligent play in the circumstances. You know, it was it was a daft thing to do and it was inviting a red card which came. So I can't really argue with, with that call at all. A, a lot of people referenced the fact that very early on there was the incident with Leon Bailey where he kicked the ball away um, after a, a free kick had been awarded. And I'm of the mind that in the early stages of the game, that is the sort of incident that you can let go if you're a referee. What I don't think you can do is let that go if you're then going to be as strict and as kind of belligerent about pulling up everything as Atwell seemed to be yesterday. And I think it, it lends itself to the, the frustration and the debate about if Sinistera's a yellow card, why wasn't Bailey's a yellow card and Bailey was booked later in the game. It felt early on as if it was a match where there was going to be a red card at some point. And I think the general feeling in the ground was that Leeds, although Villa had the better chances in the first half, and I think they, they did, there were some good ones for Leeds, but as the first half went on, Coutinho started to come into the game more, Jacob Ramsey started to come into the game more, Ollie Watkins did as well. The Villa, Villa started to go close. I think there was probably still the feeling in the ground that if it wasn't a disrupted game and if the game had more fluency, then it might well be there to be won by Leeds. And as it was, you just didn't see... I, I sort of felt at half time it was inevitably going to finish nil nil because it wasn't going to get going at any stage. You know, it needed to tee off. It needed something to to properly spark it up. And okay, the, the Sinistera red card did that in the sense that it completely changed the balance of the match. But it was a poor fixture overall. And I think I think part of the frustration will stem from the fact that the Leeds hadn't had a game for a month. Nobody had been at Ellen Road for longer than that. You finally get back in. You finally get a game, and and that's how it plays out. I think what frustrated me was that Atwell picked up on the time-wasting within the first minute and a half. He started to warn the Villa players, didn't he? And returning to what you said there, why do they do this? Or do you think it causes a problem that they manage different phases of the game differently? So a yellow card cannot be a yellow card early doors, but later on it becomes a yellow card. Is that to do with context or are they giving themselves a problem now, the refs? 
I think they're giving themselves a problem if they then start dealing strictly with um, with other incidents from the off. I think if you let the game stray into the latter stages before you start drawing the line and saying, listen, you know, there have been enough warnings or there have been enough enough kind of borderline calls where I'm, I'm now going to start punishing things, then then that's almost fine. And you can you can almost kind of accept the benefit of the doubt or the, the leeway that was given to Bailey at that point. But when, when you start to apply the rules strictly, you look back at that sort of incident, particularly when you see a red card for two yellows and you start to think, well, there could have been yellows elsewhere and there could have been cautions elsewhere. I mean, this, this discussion goes on every weekend and you have this in every game where you can look at certain um, tackles, fouls, whatever else, and, and argue the toss over whether or not they're, they're worthy of a yellow card. But you're talking about phases of the game there. And I think that's quite interesting when you apply it to visiting teams as well. I think with visiting teams, they're seeing the games at Ellen Road as phases. And I think we've already seen three who've come to Ellen Road with the express intention of keeping the football and the pace of the game very, very slow to begin with and using time wasting. Everton certainly did that. Wills are pretty apt at it as well. And there was absolutely no part, uh, no rush on Villa's part yesterday to play anything other than snail's pace to begin with. The idea being that you ideally kill the crowd a little bit, you kill the rhythm that Leeds have, you stay in the game, you nick a goal, as Everton did, um, or you, you find yourself in a scenario where, as yesterday, Leeds are reduced to 10 men and suddenly it's Villa's game to dominate. And Villa will probably feel pretty unlucky given that Coutinho hit the post and they had chances that were very near misses in the second half. But I don't think they played well and I don't think they were playing especially well before Sinistera was was dismissed. And I think there is a fair amount of pressure on Stephen Gerrard and I don't think the result for them yesterday helps given the circumstances. But it seems to me that the penny is going to have to drop with Leeds and Marsh about the fact that this might happen over and over again, that this might be the approach, these might be the tactics, the tactics that away teams use. And they're going to have to find a way to manage that and a way to get around them. And it almost brings me back to the, the discussion that was had so often on the Bielsa of Plan B. You know, in those circumstances, what do you do? How do you change it? How do you make it different so that you can negate the fact that teams are trying to, to kill the game? It, what surprises me slightly is that I kind of understood why teams came to Ellen Road with that attitude when Bielsa was head coach, because for so much of his time, Leeds were a really dangerous side. They dominated possession pretty easily. Um, they were hard to overrun. You were liable to concede goals against them if, if you gave them gave them the run of the pitch. Leeds haven't been that team for a while now. They haven't been a particularly great side for the past kind of 14, 15 months. And it, it, yeah, I, I'm a, a little confused as to why teams don't come to Illinois and try to be a little bit more ambitious. But I would imagine that that's probably because they know what Marsh's tactics are. They know the intensity that he wants um, the team to to apply, particularly going forward. And and ultimately, at Ellen Road, it does help you if you can keep the crowd under wraps a little. You have an uncanny knack of uh, preempting the next question that I was going to ask, because it was going to be, do Leeds have a problem they need to solve in dealing with these teams? But let's not think about it tactically. Why don't we address that from an emotional point of view and the way that they handle these these choppy ugly games then? Do they need to find a way to navigate those? They probably need to be a little bit more savvy on days like yesterday. I think if you look at Sinistera's first yellow card, in real time I thought it was harsh. When I watched it back I still felt that that was one that Atwell could have let go, but in fairness it, it was you know a, a trip from behind that was a little bit cynical and, and wasn't likely to to get the ball. And I guess in those in in that type of game with a referee who's operating like that, perhaps you need a bit more thought about the challenges you go for 
about the risks you take, about the, the likelihood that you are going to incur yellow cards for you know for situations like that. I don't think emotionally the players struggled yesterday at all. Um, I, I, I don't think that was what was the, what was affecting them. I just think that tactically it wasn't able to work in part because there was no flow in the game. And it has to be said that I, I kind of feel that in the first in the three games of the season, um, the early stages of this season, and we're talking about a really small number of games to analyse still, still only seven matches played and, and we're moving towards the, the middle of October. It's been, been very, very stop-start. But there was kind of electricity and, and, and liveliness in Leeds football in the, the early games leading up to the, the win against Chelsea at Ellen Road. I do think since then, in moments, it's looked a bit more limited and I did think it looked limited yesterday. Um, it still feels to me that we've got a team in which Marsh would love to be playing Bamford up front if he could. I still think it's yet to find that consistent rhythm or that consistent flow that means you know exactly what you're going to get from Leeds week after week, or more to the point that you can feel confident about getting a really strong performance from them. It wasn't a bad performance yesterday, I don't think. But it it wasn't great either. But ultimately, and and you know, in the end, it becomes very difficult to draw conclusions because half of that game was played with ten men, and it was attack v defence. One of the things that worries me slightly, which is why I don't know if I felt a little bit put off by the whole thing, is that if you if you stop us playing or you start to break the game up, as Villa did, Everton, Wolves, we start to look pretty toothless, don't we? And that you know, where are the goals going to come from? Is one of the questions we asked, funnily enough, in the in the show at the back end of of last week. And I guess you could apply that question in a different way to when teams do come and start breaking it up like that in front of us. Because it felt to me like we were going to struggle for a goal yesterday. I agree with that. And I think if you are going to go through repeated scenarios where the referees going to affect a game like that or the, the opposition's tactics are going to affect a game like that, you have to have some way around it. It was quite notable that, that Joe Gelhart wasn't in the squad yesterday. People have seen him before the game doing a, a quite extended warm-up or, or fitness uh, fitness programme on the pitch, which went on for a, for a good while. And it was quite clear in that that he was running freely. So having initially thought that, that he would be undergoing a fitness test, by the end of it, you did have that suspicion that he wasn't going to be in the squad. You, you quite often see when a player like that isn't involved in the 18 as it used to be or the 20 as it is now that they are given a bit of um a bit of running on the pitch just to keep them keep them going to keep them keep the legs um legs fresh to compensate for the fact that they're not going to get any minutes on the day. Uh, Marsh said afterwards that it wasn't a performance decision it was nothing to do with attitude or anything like that. He said I don't want this to be seen as a, a negative reflection on Gelhart. But I did ask him, you know, is this part of is this a pecking order thing? You know, are there other players in front of him now that Nonto's here now that you know Bamford is uh, able to be in the 20, Rodrigo is starting. And he said, to an extent, it, it is. And it, it just made me think that, you know, what is the pecking order up front at Leeds? I, I suspect, as I said, that ideally Marsh would like to play Bamford there. But Bamford, again, had a knock through the week. So, you know, was on the bench and, and able to be on the bench, but but didn't start. Rodrigo played, but Rodrigo had more of the sort of performance yesterday that we've been slightly used to from him. There were opportunities for him. He was unlucky with one shot. He was un- almost in a position to turn in a, a really, really good ball from Sinistera, who, again, I have to say, despite the red card, I sort of think every time Sinistera's on the ball, you kind of think you can't get him on the ball enough. He, he looks really creative and, and really skillful. But it hasn't quite settled, I don't think, into the 11 that Marsh categorically wants to pick. He had almost everybody available 
yesterday. And, and granted, you know, Bamford obviously had this knock through the week. But I think we're still waiting to work out what the collection of 11 players is going to be that is, is that will let this team play best and, and perform best. And as I say, I'm, I'm with you. They did look slightly limited yesterday. And I think you had to say that, that it did really look like two fairly average sides playing each other. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We spoke there in part one, Phil, about maybe Leeds United having a problem they need to solve tactically, emotionally. What about the Premier League? What do you think about the wider question about the Premier League lacking quality and serving up so many of these games, attritional games? It's a mixed bag. I mean, the Manchester derby earlier in the day was completely different fare. And I think if you're paying for that, you're probably happy with your money's worth, unlike the, the game at, at Ellen Road. There are a few issues for the Premier League at the moment. VAR has dominated the, the early weeks of the season, but Leeds certainly have, have seen an issue with the officiating so far, which is what led to Marsh's touchline ban yesterday uh, and what left his assistants running running the touchline for him. Um, although he was mic'd up to them and, and he was able to speak to the players beforehand and, and at half-time, so part of you kind of wonders what the, the point of it was. But it was quite interesting watching him. He'd said beforehand, you know, watching the last three games well, when he was head coach at RB Leipzig from his kitchen because he had COVID was, was agony, but it didn't seem like it was any more enjoyable being up in the press box yesterday. I think he would rather have been on the touchline, kicking every ball or kicking somebody else. But yeah, the officiating has, has not been great, I don't think. And and that that doesn't explain Leeds' results. Marsh kind of said himself that in games where he hasn't been happy with some of the referees, he hasn't been happy with the way Leeds have played either. And he said in the first half against Villa, he'd like Leeds to have been more assertive, which I, I thought was fair comment. I, I thought that was kind of lacking in parts. There were periods where they were dominant, periods where they, they did have spells of pressure, but not enough. But you're right. I mean, it, it's no spectacle that yesterday. The, the problem is you, you can't dictate how teams come and play. You can you can give edicts to referees about how they deal with time-wasting, about how they try to let games go, how they try to, to let the play, the play flow. And one of the things that annoyed Marsh, and he was saying yesterday, was that you know, he's clearly spoken to... Um, the referee's body off to, and, and I think wants to speak to the league as well about various aspects of, of officiating. But he said that they were in touch with um, the various head coaches and managers for an hour and a half in the past week to discuss the ways in which they were going to try to to let the football flow. And I think watching that game yesterday, there was a bit of a contradiction between, certainly he was implying this, between what had been said in that meeting and what he was actually seeing on the pitch. The problem is that the, the Premier League, no matter how the football looks seem to be able to sell TV rights deals that you know increased amounts offered for huge amounts of cash regardless and and it's it's one of those one of those products that people are in for 
regardless of how it looks. I think if over a sustained period of time, the football was as poor as that more often than not, then then you would have a problem. But it doesn't seem to me like a huge amount of change on that front. I think the, the way in which Leeds have to deal with this is to come up with a strategy for what they're going to do against teams who come with a specific intention of not really committing, certainly early on in games, because that's what happened against Villa. That's what happened against Everton. That's the way Wolves tried to play it as well on, on the opening day of the season. And it should be fairly obvious now that this won't be the last time that it that it occurs. Do you think Marsh has said maybe a little bit too much in regards to trying to run the referees and, and influence them? And you wonder if he's maybe been a bit too open and honest on the on the call and other managers are, are listening and going, oh, well, he, he's trying to play in a particular way, then we will do X. No, see, I, I think it's more than reasonable and more than fair for a head coach to talk about that. And when you get into debate about refereeing, to say, this is what we were told, this is what the conversation was. And to reflect that you have a crowd out there, 36,000, who come wanting to see a certain standard of, of match and certainly didn't get that yesterday. Where I think Marsh went wrong and where I think he was he was kind of asking for it was the conversations in the chat you know, a couple of months back and from, from you know the earliest days really when he was appointed about his methods of challenging referees in games, you know, of trying to get into officials' heads, of of kind of actively doing this uh, on the touchline and consciously doing what he does to try and influence decisions in his favour. And I think referees and officials will pick up on that. Um, I think they will have picked up on that uh, the more he spoke about it. I think it was probably not na- it was probably naive not to think that that would catch up on him eventually. And I think when you're doing what he does, what he did at Brentford and where he was sent off, you run the risk of referees closing ranks of taking a dim view of you. And you run the risk of that then either consciously or subconsciously affecting the decisions they make in games where your head coach and your, your team's on the pitch. So I don't think that was very wise, but I think him talking yesterday about the fact that head coaches and managers being told that this sort of thing will be addressed only to see a game like we saw against Villa yesterday with all the stop stoppages, all the, the disruption and, and the disorder in it. Begs the question, doesn't it? If that's the plan, why isn't it happening? How do you think the season's shaping up overall then in terms of the Premier League? Leeds currently mid-table. The current points tally leaves us on target for about 48 or thereabouts. Leeds 12th, like zero goal difference. That's pretty much the target for the season, isn't it? Isn't it going gloriously, Phil? Somebody asked me this yesterday, you know, what? how's it going? And, and I said, it's very hard to answer that because you can probably draw a line in the sand between the good games and the poorer games but we haven't really had enough yet to say for certain how good this team is and how well they're likely to play over the course of the season. I was looking at the championship and they're already into double figures matches, already up to 11 um, in most cases. And because of that, you can probably take a, a pretty firm overview of who's going to be in contention, who's not, where the size likely to finish. I still don't feel like Leeds are far enough into their fixture list to know for sure whether or not Marsh has got this in hand, whether they're set up as they need to be set up for the, the full season. My gut feeling is that they will be okay. And and I think the position they're in in the league at the moment is probably where I envisage them finishing um, later in the season and, and at the end of the season. But this feels to me to be quite a pivotal point for them, as I suppose it is for most clubs, really. This stage between the month's break that they've had and the month and a half's break that's coming up, for the World Cup, I think it's definitely in their interest, as it is for everybody, but I think it is in their interest, particularly after last season, to be sitting fairly pretty when the next break comes around. I look at this gap now from 
you know, the second weekend of November up to, to Boxing Day and think to myself, that's a long, long time for anybody to stew on poor form or on a slightly worrying league position. And, you know, I think that that thought will be occurring elsewhere. So there are things that I've liked about the team so far. There are, there are things about them that have been slightly concerning. You know, as I say, looked a bit limited yesterday. Obviously, defensively, not great at all at Brentford. But actually, when it came to against Villa, you know, the structure held, the tactical plan seemed to be there. And I, I, I came around to thinking about Marsh that actually, in his time as head coach, he's not been at all bad at digging out points or digging out results from situations that seem fairly hopeless. I mean, yesterday, a full half in the Premier League with 10 players is, you know, the risk of losing that game is, is very, very high. So a point becomes really valuable from it. And to go back to Norwich at home last season, Brighton at home last season, even Brentford away when most of us went down to London thinking it was probably curtains when it came to, to relegation. The team are able to dig these things out and they are able to, to supply the fight when they need it. They're just going to need more than that. Over the course of the season, they'll need more than fight. The, the quality will need to, to shine through too. We've seen it in parts. It's been missing in others. Um, I still feel like seven games isn't quite enough to say for sure where this is going. And one thing to say, to give it the wider context, is that nobody outside the top six has won more than two games this season, with the exception of Fulham, who have won three, but they've also lost three as well. There's an awful lot of draws in that um, that middle group. It's very, very even, and I can't help feeling that when this all wraps up next summer and, and you look back on it in future, it's going to feel very bitty, and it's going to feel like a season that, that got going in points, stopped in others didn't quite have the, I guess, the momentum or the impetus that, that the average season has. You can see that it's starting to shape up in some respects. I mean, Arsenal well into form. City look like they're going to win the league. I, I think the rate Haaland's scoring, it's almost impossible to see how how they won't. I think for teams like Leeds and, and also Villa and others in the position they're in, it's just slightly more questionable because they're not far enough in yet to know that they're safe, to know that, to, like, to feel secure, you know, to, to feel like They've got everything in hand. I think we'll have a much clearer picture of that when we get to the break for the World Cup. And and as I say, good things about Leeds. Leeds uh, certainly things that, that need to improve as well. It's one of those where I think you keep your powder dry for now. Wolves haven't kept the powder dry though. Bruno Large sacked yesterday. Yeah, Martian sent him another email of um, the, to console him with that. I wonder if he ever replied to that that previous one. I mean, they've they've gone early on that, and it just goes to show. Uh, I, I was on a, a podcast, um, Mentality podcast last weekend, which is um, run by Stevie Ward, the old Leeds Rhinos captain, who's retired with concussion. And we got on to talking about management and coaching. And I was kind of saying that I've never, ever seen the appeal of being a frontline head coach or manager because that's what happens. You know, you you have a good spell, as Laj did. I mean, he, he took a lot of credit for the point, the periods where Wolves look good. And then it all falls apart and it falls apart very, very quickly. And they haven't waited long to do that, Wilkes. They've obviously got itchy feet and, and cold feet very quickly with him. And they did spend, you know, I think the changes in the summer clearly haven't worked particularly well. And, and they didn't look like a good side when they came to Ellen Road on the first day of the season. But something tells me that we're going to see quite a bit more of that in the Premier League this season. And I do wonder, not just in the Premier League, actually, across the English divisions, how much managerial change there's going to be in this period when the World Cup's on, because there will never be a better opportunity in season to change manager, change head coach, and give them wide open space to start implementing their own plans and, and their own ideas. 
So yes, could be quite a could be quite an eventful period. Yeah, I tweeted something to this effect. Tongue in cheek, of course, just saying we've had pre season one and now we've just come out of pre season two. We've got pre season <laughs> three on the way in a few weeks. Yeah, it does feel like that. Um, Mars was saying last week we were asking him about what Leeds will do when the break comes around and he says they'll get a fortnight off to begin with um, and then they'll be back in um, there has been talk about them going to the States going to um, California to train over there and, and to uh, I guess kill a bit of time as everybody waits to get going again on Boxing Day but as I say I suspect that when we get to early November and there is this wide open space in front of everybody the clubs who are having doubts will start to think very seriously about what they're going to do I'm looking forward to seeing us uh, come back after the World Cup break because if we looked a little bit rusty yesterday and we're facing Erling Haaland on Boxing Day, I mean, <laughs> could be fun, couldn't it? It can't be a good thing for the division either that he's not involved in the World Cup. I mean, on the one hand, being over there would help to keep him sharp. But on the other, it just lets him recuperate and gather his thoughts and then and then go again. And that is going to be, I mean, that's going to be the defensive challenge of all defensive challenges this uh, this season and that's that is probably one of the occasions where head coaches and, and managers particularly higher up you go in the league never like to talk too much about focusing on individual players or, or making tactical plans to, to you know to deal with uh, one player specifically but that is probably an occasion where when it comes to Marsh and comes to Leeds they're going to have to work extremely hard on what on earth they're going to do with him um, because he just looks like scoring in every single game at the moment, he doesn't even need that many chances or that much of the ball in order to do it. Just a top-class player, and I always chuckle at the fact that Leeds could have had him for four million. I don't think we would have had him any more, though, would we? Um, no, as, this as you, is the as point. You said I, saw, before. I saw somebody moaning on Twitter yesterday about the fact that he could have gone to Everton and we, they could have had him. I think somebody was quoting seven million pounds, and you know this, that, and the other. But I've said previously, he's very career-focused as Haaland, and he, and he seems to have that streak about him where when he wants to move or needs to move or feels like he, he needs to progress, then he'll he'll push for it and he'll go for it. So even had he come into Leeds for £4 million, I very much doubt we would be talking about Haaland still tearing it up for them at the moment. In terms of other stuff across the weekend, one significant development is Fulham losing Mitrovic. Do we know how long he's going to be out for? I haven't seen an update on Mitrovic yet, but a player they can't afford to lose has actually been good for them so far this season. He has this reputation of smashing it in the Championship and then coming in and fading away in the Premier League but has been good has, has scored goals somebody they need to to stay fit I suspect you're asking that because you think that Leeds might be in that vicinity no? Well just wondering because I mean I was looking at the table here in front of me and Fulham sitting eighth like I said with the uh, with the three wins on the board but they've conceded a lot of goals but they've scored quite a lot as well so it makes you wonder if you take the goals out of that side how that's going to reflect on their season generally and, and if they lose those goals for how long and hopefully quite a while. Not that I wish injury upon Mitrovic, you understand, but uh, I would like them to not succeed because it's another team that we uh, hopefully don't have to worry too much about if they struggle. Fulham in eighth makes me feel, or, or goes back to what I was saying, that I don't feel as if the table has properly settled down yet. It has in some respects. I think particularly at the top end, um, it's starting to, to take a bit of shape with City moving into a fairly ominous position. But Brighton in fourth, are they likely to stick around there? Um, Liverpool in ninth, is that likely to hold Fulham in eighth? Again, the, the same the same question. The one that interests me more than anything is is Leicester at the bottom of the league. And, you know, it won't be very long if their form continues until a, a, a pretty serious gap is opened 
opened up, which is going to leave them in, in big, big trouble. They, they desperately need results um, pretty quickly to make sure that they, they stay in touch. But I, as I say, it feels to me as if it's going to take this run of games up to November before everybody is sitting saying, right, this is what we're, we're kind of looking at this season. I was a little bit surprised to see Palace, who are our next opponents, and I think that's a tricky game to go there. Um, they're below us, they're 17th at the minute, albeit they've only played seven rather than eight, but they've uh, they've got three points fewer than us, sat just outside the uh, the drop zone. I can't say I expected a huge amount of Palace this season. Um, I didn't expect as much as, as they got from themselves last season either, although I wasn't convinced they would go down. Um, they'll be missing Conor Gallagher, without any doubt. Um, it was a big low knee for them last season and, and back at, at Chelsea now. And scored a beauty at the weekend to beat Palace. He did, he did. I mean, you know, he always... Forget that he was the player that, that Leeds and Bielsa wanted last last summer, and and what a difference he might have made to to the season as it went. Even a slight difference would have would have kept Leeds probably a little bit further clear of trouble than than they were in in the end. But you're right about that fixture. It is a difficult one. It's fairly important as well because it's Arsenal after that at Ellen Road, and as I said, I I don't see Arsenal coming and doing. Um, what Villa did yesterday or approaching the game in the way that Everton did at Ellen Road or, or Wolves at Ellen Road, I think um, I think Arsenal will be far more inclined to to go for the jugular. And it is the case, I think, with Leeds that, you know, before long, they're going to have to get a win on the board. They're going to have to start getting more points on the board. The form's been kind of it's kind of mixed this season, but but not in any way poor, I don't think. Uh, but you are looking at it now and saying it's, it's four games without a win. You know, it's Palace next away, like you say, difficult game. Arsenal at home and then Leicester away. You know, at, at some at Fulham after that as well. This is a period in which points should be going on the board. A win is a very valuable commodity in the Premier League, isn't it? But that said, turned out to be a decent point yesterday when the shakedown came. I think you have to be happy with it. I don't think you have to be happy with the game as a whole. And and I wouldn't have said that Marsh was jumping through happy hoops about the way Leeds played in the first half when it was eleven v eleven. He wasn't trying to pretend it was a, a stellar performance, but. I'm never keen on that phrase saying Leeds would have lost that game last season, but I suspect they might have done because they they were very brittle last season, very brittle defensively, and they weren't particularly good at digging points out of um, of circumstances that that seemed utterly desperate. And and I think I, I could see circumstances, you know, this time last year where that might have gone wrong. So it is a decent point. Um, it's it's far better than a loss, and I really don't think Villa are the sort of team you want to be losing to this season. It's not that they don't have good players. I actually think they've got a decent squad, but I'm not quite sure what they are. Um, I'm not quite sure there's there's enough there to keep the wolf from Gerard's door if they carry on playing like that. Um, so I kind of take that as a good point on the day. I think it has to be given the, the state of the game after 48 minutes. Man of the match then, Phil. Talk to me. Who are you going to pick? That's a re- actually really hard question to answer because I don't Stuart think Atwell. anybody... <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, if nothing else, he gave us something to write about. He did. I don't think anybody shone massively. I, I was liking some of Sinistera's touches in the first half, but Sinistera does not get the nod on the basis of the, the red card after half time. Um, I thought players like Rocker and Tyler Adams got through a lot of work 10 v 11. Defensively, I thought a good performance from Robin Koch. I thought Stroit was decent yesterday as well. And actually, Cooper, without being perfect, again, he's back in the team. It's it's a it's a clean sheet. I think it, I, I think it's a collective nod, really, to to the way they held it together with ten players. And and it wasn't as if they weren't scrapes and they weren't near misses. I mean, Coutinho hitting the post 
couple of efforts that were that were just by. I think fractionally that could easily have gone Villa's way yesterday. So I'm I'm struggling to pick out somebody specific, but I think I think collectively it was it was a good effort after half time and I suppose you'd have to say that, that tactically on the touchline they got it right didn't they they did the right things particularly I think moving to three at the back with um, with wing backs which meant that Villa weren't quite able to exploit the width in, in the way that they would have liked to have done so hell why don't we give it to Rennie Maric yeah, why not? So uh, we will get back together on Friday. It'll likely be Friday afternoon when the show comes out because Sunday game against Palace, which means presser is normally one thirty on a Friday. So we'll record around 3 o'clock-ish. So we'll have it out um, early evening on Friday, Phil. Train strike as well this week, dudes. Good luck. Well, there you go. That wraps up the Monday edition of the Phil Hay Show at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to read The Athletic. We'll speak to you next time. The Phil Hay Show. 